Section 18 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649, by John Winthrop. Section 19, 1644, Part 2. The fourth matter then in consideration was upon a speech which the governor made to this effect to V's, one that he could not but bewail the great differences and jarrings which were upon all occasions among the magistrates and between them and the deputies that the ground of this was jealousies and misreports and thereupon some elder siding etc but not dealing with any of them in a way of god but hearing them reproached and passing it in silence also their authority question as if they had none out of court but what must be granted them by commission from the general court etc and the way to redress hereof was that the place and power of magistrates and deputies might be known and so the elders were desired which they willingly assented to to be mediators of a thorough reconciliation and to go about it presently and to meet at boston two or three days before the next court to perfect the same but indeed the magistrates did all agree very well together except two only viz mr bellingham and mr saltonstall who took part with the deputies against the other ten magistrates about their power and in other cases where any difference was and some of the elders had done no good offices in this matter through their misapprehensions both of the intentions of the magistrates and also of the matters themselves being affairs of state which did not belong to their calling footnote and yet the elders were constantly dealing with affairs of state in footnote the merchants which had to do with the goods in the ship which was seized by captain stagg being desirous to do their utmost to save their principles in england from damage knowing them to be honest men and faithful to the parliament intended to have a trial at law about it and procured an attachment against the captain but they were dissuaded from that course and the deputy sent for captain stagg and acquainted him with it and took his word for his appearance at the next court which was called of purpose when the governor and six other of the magistrates were met for the governor did not send for such as dwelt far off and the jury the merchants were persuaded not to put it to a jury for the jury could find no more but matter of fact viz whose the goods were whether the merchants in england or theirs who shipped them in regard that they had not yet made any consignment of them nor taken in the bills of lading and this the magistrates could as well determine upon proof and certify accordingly for it was resolved not to use any force against the parliament's authority and accordingly they certified the lord admiral of the true state of the case as they found it upon examination and oath of the factors the pinnace which went to delaware upon discovery returned with loss of their voyage the occasion was the dutch governor made a protest against them yet promised them leave to pass etc provided they should not trade with the indians also the swedish governor gave them leave to pass but would not permit them to trade and for that end each of them had appointed a pinnace to wait upon our pinnace but withal the master of their vessel proved such a drunken sot and so complied with the dutch and swedes as they feared when they should have left the vessel to gone up to the lake in a small boat he would in his drunkenness have betrayed their goods etc to the dutch whereupon they gave over and returned home and bringing their action against the master both for his drunkenness and denial to proceed as they required and as by the charter party he was bound they recovered two hundred pounds of him which was too much though he did deal badly with them for it was very probable they could not have proceeded there fell out a troublesome business at boston upon this occasion there arrived here a portugal ship with salt having in it two englishmen only one of these happened to be drunk and was carried to his lodging 
and the constable a godly man and zealous against such disorders hearing of it found him out being upon his bed asleep and so awaked him and led him to the stocks there being no magistrates at home he being in the stocks one of latour's gentlemen lifted up the stocks and let him out the constable hearing of it went to the frenchman being then gone and quiet and would need carry him to the stocks the frenchman offered to yield himself to go to prison but the constable not understanding his language pressed him to go to the stocks the frenchman resisted and drew his sword with that company came in and disarmed him and carried him by force to the stocks but soon after the constable took him out and carried him to the prison and presently after took him forth again and delivered him to latour much tumult there was about this many frenchmen were in town and other strangers which were not satisfied with this dealing of the constable yet were quiet in the morning the magistrates examined the cause and sent for latour who was much grieved for his servant's miscarriage and also for the disgrace put upon him for in france it is a most ignominious thing to be laid in the stocks but he complained not of any injury but left him wholly to the magistrates to do with him what they pleased the magistrates told him they were sorry to have any such occasion against any of his servants but they must do justice and therefore they must commit him to prison except he could find sureties to be forthcoming to answer etc and to keep the peace latour's gentlemen offered to engage themselves for him they answered they might not take security of strangers in this case otherwise they would have desired no more than latour's own word upon this two englishmen members of the church of boston standing by offered to be as sureties whereupon he was bailed till he should be called for because latour was not like to stay till the court this was thought too much favor for such an offense by many of the common people but by our law bail could not be denied him and beside the constable was the occasion of all things this in transgressing the bounds of his office and that in six things first in fetching a man out of his lodging that was asleep upon his bed and without any warrant from authority second in not putting a hook upon the stocks nor setting some to guard them three in laying hands upon the frenchman that had opened the stocks when he was gone and quiet and no disturbance of the peace then appearing fourth in carrying him to prison without warrant fifth in delivering him out of prison without warrant six in putting such a reproach upon a stranger and a gentleman when there was no need for he knew he would be forthcoming and the magistrate would be at home that evening but such are the fruits of ignorant and misguided zeal it might have caused much blood and no good done by it and justice might have had a more fair and safe way if the constable had kept within his own bounds and had not interfered upon the authority of the magistrate but the magistrate thought not convenient to lay these things to the constable's charge before the assembly but rather to admonish him for it in private lest they should have discouraged and discountenanced an honest officer and given occasion to the offenders and their abettors to insult over him the constable may restrain and if need be imprison in the stocks such as he sees disturbing the peace but when the affray is ended and the parties departed and in quiet it is the office of the magistrate to make inquiry and to punish it and the persons so wrongfully imprisoned by the constable might have had their action of false imprisonment against him six august twenty six about nine in the evening there fell a great flame of fire down into the water towards pullen point it lighted the air far about it was no lightning for the sky was very clear at stamford an indian came into a poor man's house none being at home but the wife and a child in the cradle and taking up a lathing hammer as he would have brought it the woman stooping down to take her child of the cradle he struck her with a sharp edge upon the side of her head wherewith she fell down and then he gave her two cuts more which pierced into her brains 
and so he left her for dead, carrying away some clothes which lay at hand. This woman, after a short time, came to herself, and got out to a neighbor's house, and told what had been done to her, and described the Indian by his persons and clothes, etc. Whereupon many Indians of these parts were brought before her, and she charged one of them confidently to be the man, whereupon he was put in prison with intent to have put him to death, but he escaped, and the woman recovered but lost her senses. A good time after the Indians brought another Indian, whom they charged to have committed that fact, and he, upon examination, confessed it, and gave the reason thereof, and brought forth some of the clothes which he had stolen. Upon this the magistrates of New Haven, taking advice of the elders of those parts, and some here did put him to death. The executioner would strike off his head with a falchion, but he had eight blows at it before he could effect it, and the Indian stood upright and stirred not all the time. 7. September 7. Here came a pinnace from Virginia with letters from the governor and council there for procuring powder and shot to prosecute their war against the Indians, but we were weakly provided ourselves, and so could not afford them any help in that kind. 9. Mr. Latour departed from Boston. All our train bands, it being then the ordinary training day, made a guard for him to his boat, and the deputy governor and many others accompanied him to the wharf. When he was aboard his bark, he weighed, and set sail, and shot off all his guns, which were six, and so our small shot gave him a volley and one piece of ordnance, and all the ships, fees, four, saluted him, each of them with three pieces. At the court of assistance, Thomas Morton, footnote, Morton of Marymount, whose return to America had been mentioned, in footnote, was called forth presently after the lecture, that the country might be satisfied of the justice of our proceeding against him. There was laid to his charge his complaint against us at the council board, which he denied. Then we produced the copy of the bill exhibited by Sir Christopher Gardner, etc., wherein we were charged with treason, rebellion, etc., wherein he was named as a party or witness. He denied that he had any hand in the information, only was called as a witness. To convince him to be the principal party, it was showed, 1. That Gardner had no occasion to complain against us, for he was kindly used and dismissed in peace, professing much engagement for the great courtesy he found here. 2nd. Morton had set forth a book against us, and had threatened us, and had prosecuted a quo warranto against us, which he did not deny. Third, his letter was produced, written soon after to Mr. Jeffrey, his old acquaintance and intimate friend, in these words. My very good gossip, if I should commend myself to you, you reply with this proverb, propria laus sordit in ore, but to leave impertinent salute, and really to proceed, you shall hereby understand that, although, when I was first sent to England to make complaint against Ananias and the brethren, I effected the business but superficially, through the brevity of time, I have at this time taken more deliberation and brought the matter to a better pass. And it is thus brought about that the king hath taken the business into his own hands. The Massachusetts patent, by order of the council, was brought in view. The privileges there granted well scanned upon, and at the council board in public, and in the presence of Sir Richard Saltonstall and the rest, it was declared, for manifest abuses there discovered, to be void. The king hath reassumed the whole business into his own hands, appointed a committee of the board, and given order for a general governor of the whole territory to be sent over. The commission is passed, the privy seal, I did see it, and the same was first month my, footnote, i.e., primo my, on the first of May, the committee of the board is doubtless the well-known colonial committee of april twenty eighth sixteen thirty four whose commission is given in bradford appendix in footnote sent to the lord keeper to have it pass the great seal for confirmation 
and I now stay to return with the governor, by whom all complaints shall have relief, so that now Jonas, being set ashore, may safely cry, Repent, you cruel separatists, repent. There are as yet but forty days. If Jove vouchsafe to thunder, the charter and kingdom of the separatists will fall asunder. Repent, you cruel schismatics, repent. These things have happened, and I shall see, notwithstanding their boasting and false alarms in the Massachusetts, with feigned cause of thanksgiving, their merciless cruelty rewarded, according to the merit of the fact. With dying punishment for coming into those parts, like Samson's foxes with firebrands at their tails, the king and council are really possessed of their preposterous loyalty and irregular proceedings, and are incensed against them. And although they be so opposite to the Catholic axioms, yet they will be compelled to perform them, or at least wise suffer them to be put in practice to their sorrow. In matter of restitution and satisfaction, more than mystically, it must be performed visibly, and in such sort as may be subject to the senses in a very lively image. My Lord Canterbury having, with my Lord Privy Seal, caused all Mr. Cradock's letters to be viewed, and his apology in particular for the brethren here, protested against him and Mr. Comfrey, that they were a couple of imposterous knaves, so that, for all their great friends, they departed the council chamber in our view with a pair of cold shoulders. I have stayed long, yet I have not lost my labor, although the brethren have found their hopes frustrated, so that it follows by consequence, I shall see my desire upon my enemies, and if John Grant had not betaken him to flight, I had taught him to sing Clamavy in the fleet before this time, and if he return before I depart, he will pay dear for his presumption. For here he finds me a second Perseus. I have uncased Medusa's head, and struck the brethren into astonishment. They find, and will yet more to their shame, that they abuse the word and are to blame to presume so much, that they are but a word and a blow to them that are without. Of these particulars I thought good, by so convenient a messenger, to give you notice, lest you should think I had died in obscurity, as the brethren vainly intended I should, and basely practiced, abusing justice by their sinister practices, as by the whole body of the committee, una voce, as was concluded to be done to the dishonor of his majesty. And as for Ratcliffe, he was comforted by their lordships with the croppings of Mr. Winthrop's ears. Footnote. Ratcliffe's ears had been cropped by order of the Massachusetts authorities for speaking abusively of the magistracy and church government. In footnote which shows what opinions is held amongst them of King Winthrop, with all his inventions, and his Amsterdam fantastical ordinances, his preachings, marriages, and other abusive ceremonies, which do exemplify his detestation of the Church of England, and the contempt of his majesty's authority and wholesome laws, which are and will be established in those parts, in vita Minerva. With these I thought fit to salute you as a friend by an epistle, because I am bound to love you as a brother by the gospel, resting your loving friend. Thomas Morton, dated 1st month, May, 1634. Having been kept in prison about a year in expectation of further evidence out of England, he was again called before the court, and after some debate what to do with him, he was fined a hundred pounds and set at liberty. He was a charge to the country, for he had nothing, and we thought not fit to inflict corporal punishment upon him, being old and crazy, but thought better to fine him and give him his liberty as if it had been to procure his fine, but indeed to leave him opportunity to go out of the jurisdiction, as he did soon after, and he went to Achimenticus, and living there poor and despised, he died within two years after. 7 September 16th. He arrived a ship from Dartmouth. She was impressed into the king's service, and sent to sea in the Earl of Marlborough's fleet, 
but she left the fleet and took in wine and salt at the spanish islands and went to virginia where he left his merchants and diverse of his men and not putting off his goods there he came to boston where the london ship captain bailey commander having commission from the parliament would have taken him but he stood upon his defence and was able to keep his ship against the other but another question arose about her upon this occasion a merchants of boston had set out a small ship worth fifteen hundred pounds which being trading in wales was taken by the king's ships whereupon their merchants desired leave to seize this ship for their satisfaction on the other side the master being come under our command desired our protection our answer was that if he would deliver his sailors on shore we would protect him till the court etc see more next leaf seventeen the lady latour arrived here from london in a ship commanded by captain bailey they had been six months from london having spent their time in trading about canada etc they met with the alney near cape sable and told him they were bound for the bay and had stowed the lady and her people under hatches so he not knowing it was captain bailey whom he honestly sought for to have taken or sunk him he wrote by the master to the deputy governor to this effect that his master the king of france understanding that the aid latour had here the last years was upon the commission he had showed from the vice-admiral of france gave him in charge not to molest us for it but to hold all good correspondency with us and all the english which he professed he was desirous of so far as he might stand with his duty to his master and withal that he intended to send to us so soon as he had settled his affairs to let us know what further commission he had and his sincerity to the business of latour etc here arrived also mr roger williams of providence and with him two or three families he brought with him a letter from diverse lords and others of the parliament the copy whereof ensueth taking notice some of us of long time of mr roger williams his good affections and conscience and of his sufferings by our common enemies and oppressors of god's people the prelates as also of his great industry and travail and his printed indian labors in your parts the like whereof we have not seen extant from any part in america and in which respect it hath pleased both houses of parliament freely to grant unto him and friends with him a free and absolute charter of civil government for those parts of his abode footnote the rhode island charter of sixteen forty four in footnote and withal sorrowfully resenting that amongst good men our friends driven to the ends of the world exercised with the trials of a wilderness and who mutually give good testimony each of other as we observe you do of him and he abundantly of you there should be such a distance we thought it fit upon diverse considerations to profess our great desires of both your utmost endeavours of nearer closing and of ready expressing of those good affections which we perceive you bear to each other in the actual performance of all friendly offices the rather because of those bad neighbors you are like to find too near unto you in virginia and the unfriendly visits from the west of england and from ireland that howsoever it may please the most high to shake our foundations yet the report of your peaceable and prosperous plantations may be refreshing too your true and faithful friends northumberland p wharton rob harley toss barrington wim masham lowell st john john gurdon isaac pennington cor holland gill pickering j plackiston miles corbett to the right worshipful the governor and assistants and the rest of our worthy friends in the plantations of massachusetts bay in new england footnote this letter is strong evidence of the respect in which roger williams was held he had just before put humanity in his debt by writing the bloody tenant 
his famous defense of toleration, which appeared in 1644, in footnote. Two churches were appointed to be gathered, one at Haverhill and the other at Andover, both upon Merrimack River. They had given notice thereof to the magistrates and elders, who desired, in regard of their far remoteness and scarcity of housing there, the meeting might be at Rowley, which they assented unto, but being assembled, most of those who were to join refused to declare how God had carried on the work of his grace in them upon this reason, because they had declared it formally in their admission into other churches, whereupon the assembly break up without proceeding, etc. The governor and others of the magistrates met at Boston upon two special occasions. The one was for trial of an action between the Lady Latour and Captain Bailey for not carrying her, etc., to her own place, and for some injuries done her aboard his ship. See more after. The other was upon the request of some merchants of Boston who, having a ship taken in Wales by the king's party, desired recompense by a ship of Dartmouth riding in our harbor. Whereupon we sent for the master of the Dartmouth ship, who delivered his ship into our hands, till the cause should be tried, which he did the more willingly, for that some London ships of greater force, riding also in our harbor, had threatened to take him, and the next morning Captain Richardson, having commissioned from the Lord Admiral, fitted his ship to take her, notwithstanding that he had been forbidden overnight by the deputy governor to meddle with her, being under our protection, and lying so before Boston as her shot must needs do harm. Whereupon the governor and the other magistrates, sitting them in court, arose and went to take order about it, and having overnight given commission to some to take seizure of the Dartmouth ship, they went aboard her with their commission, and an officer was sent with warrant to stay Captain Richardson, but he being then come to anchor close by the other ship, he could not, or would not stay, but suffered his men to enter the other ship, and the master coming aboard him at his request, he detained him prisoner. Whereupon the governor, etc., sent two other masters of ships to him to command him ashore, but he seeing his men so unruly, and fearing they would fall to fight or pillage in his absence, as he after told us, excused himself for not coming upon that command. Upon which fire was given to a warning piece from that battery, which cut a rope in the head of his ship, and upon that one of his men, without any command, ran down hastily to fire upon our battery, but it pleased God that he hurt himself in the way, and so was not able to go on. A stranger also, unbidden, gave fire to another piece on the battery, which leveled at the bow of the ship, but it struck against the head of a bolt in the cutwater of the Dartmouth ship, and went no further. Then we sent forty men armed aboard the Dartmouth ship, and upon that Captain Richardson came ashore, and acknowledged his heir, and his sorrow for what he had done, yet withal alleging some reasons for his excuse. So we only ordered him to pay a barrel of powder, and to satisfy the officers and soldiers we had employed, etc., and dismissed him. The reason was, because, through the Lord's special providence, there was no hurt done, nor had he made one shot, for if he had, we were resolved to have taken or sunk him, which we might easily have done, lying close under our battery. So as we could have played upon him with the whole culverin or demi-culverin six hours altogether, nor had he yet showed to us or to the master of the Dartmouth ship any commission. But after he showed only an ordinary commission from the Lord Admiral, not under the great seal, nor grounded upon any ordinance of Parliament as Captain Staggs was, therefore we forbade him to meddle with any ship in our harbor, for he could not by that commission take a ship in any place exempt for the Admiral's jurisdiction. Having thus seized the ship, we were to consult what to do with her. Upon examination we found that the master and company were Dartmouth men, and that the ship had formerly been employed in the Parliament's service, but, Dartmouth being taken by the king, 
she had been employed for taking a vessel or two of the parliaments under the same master but a captain put over him and many soldiers and was since sold to a merchant of christopher island and by his agent sent forth upon merchant affairs to diverse places and to repair at last to st malo's in france where the agent dwelt who was an englishman and had used to trade at dartmouth whose letter of advice in the bill of sale of the ship was produced by the master it feared further to us that dartmouth had been cordial to the parliament and stood out seven days against twelve thousand men and after it was surrendered generally refused to take the oath of the king and the master among others and that they had many better ships there which lay still at home and such as they sent forth they were not to come home but by advice yet it appeared after by diverse testimonies that she belonged to dartmouth and the charter party also and that the master is part owner diverse of the elders being called in for advice agreed near all that she might be seized to satisfy for her two ships which the king's party had taken from us and accordingly commission was given by the governor and council to the merchant to seize and use her giving security to be responsible and eight pounds for a hundred if she should be lawfully recovered within thirteen months but the company to have their wages and goods while the governor and other of the magistrates were at boston a boat sent from dalney with ten men arrived at salem hearing that the governor dwelt there there was in her one marie supposed to be a friar but habited like a gentleman he wrote a letter to our governor by a gentleman of his company to know where he should attend him and upon our governor's answer to him he came the next day to boston and with letters of credence and commission from mr dalney he showed us the king of france his commission under the great seal of france with his privy seal annexed wherein the proceedings against latour were verified and he condemned as a rebel and a traitor etc with command for the apprehension of himself and a lady who had fled out of france against special order under etc he complaining also of the wrong done by our men the last year in assisting of latour etc and proffered terms of peace and amity we answered to the first that diverse of the ships and most of the men were stranger to us and no commission from us nor any permission to use any hostility and we were very sorry when we heard what had been done this gave him satisfaction to the other propositions we answered that we could not conclude any league with him without the advice of the commissioners of the united colonies but if he would set down his propositions in writing we would consider further of them and withal we acquainted him with what we had lately written to mr d'alney and the injuries we had complained of to him so he withdrew himself to his lodgings at mr fowles and drew out both his propositions and answers to our complaints in french and returned to us he added two propositions more one that we would aid him against latour and the other that we would not assist him and give reasonable answer to our demands upon these things he discoursed half the day sometimes with our governor in french and other while with the rest of the magistrates in latin we urged much for a reconciliation with latour and that he would permit his lady to go to her husband his answer was that if latour would voluntarily submit and come in he would assure him his life and liberty but if he were taken he were sure to lose his head in france and for his lady she was known to be the cause of his contempt and rebellion and therefore they could not let her go to him but if we should send her in any to our vessels he must take her and if we carried any goods to latour he would take them also but he would give us satisfaction for them in the end we came to this agreement which was drawn up in latin by these words and signed by the governor and six other magistrates and mr marie whereof one copy we kept and the other he carried with him he came to boston the sixth day very late and made great haste away so he departed on the third day following
We furnished him with horses and sent him to Salem well accompanied, and offered him a bark to carry him home, but he refused it. We entertained him with all courteous respect, and he seemed to be surprised with his unexpected entertainment, and gave a very liberal testimony of his kind acceptance thereof, and assurance of Mr. Tallany's engagement to us for it. The agreement between us was this. The agreement between John Endicott, Esquire, Governor of the Massachusetts and New England, and the rest of the magistrates there, and Mr. Murray, Commissioner of Mr. Denalny, Knight, Governor and Lieutenant General of His Majesty the King of France, in Acadie, a province of New France, made and ratified at Boston in the Massachusetts aforesaid, 8D Mincis 8, October 8, and Dom 1644. The Governor and the rest of the magistrates do promise to Mr. Murray that they and all English within the jurisdiction of the Massachusetts aforesaid shall observe and keep firm peace with Mr. D'Aulney, etc., and all the French under his command in Acadie. And likewise the said Mr. Marie doth promise for Mr. D'Aulney that he and all his people shall also keep firm peace with the governor and magistrates aforesaid, and with all the inhabitants of the jurisdiction of the Massachusetts aforesaid, and that it shall be lawful for all men, both French and English, to trade each with other, so that if any occasion of offense should happen, Neither party shall attempt anything against the other in any hostile manner before the wrong be first complained of and due satisfactions not given. Provided always, the governor and magistrates aforesaid, be not bound to restrain the merchants to trade with their ships with any persons, either French or other, wheresoever they dwell. Provided also that the full ratification and conclusion of this agreement be referred to the next meeting of the commissioners of the United Colonies of New England, for the continuation or abrogation of the same, and in the meantime to remain firm and inviolate. Footnote. The treaty is given in full in Hazard, State Papers, Volume 1, page 536. Also in Hutchinson, Collections, 146. In footnote. By this agreement we are freed from the fear our people were in, that Mr. Denalny would take revenge of our small vessels or our plantations, for the harm he sustained by our means the last year, and also from any further question about that business. We are now also freed from as great a fear of war with the Narragansetts. For the commissioners, meeting at Hartford, sent for Ancus some from Narragansett, a sachem and chief captain were sent. And whereas the Narragansetts' plea against Ancus was that he had put their sachem to death after he had received a ransom for his life, it was clearly proved otherwise, and that the things he received were part of them given him for his courteous usage of the said Miantenema and those sachems which were slain in the battle, and another part, that Miantenoa might be given to the English. In the end it was agreed by all parties that there should be peace on all sides till planting time were over the next year, and then neither of them should attempt any hostile act against the other, without first acquainting the English, etc., therewith. The Lady Latour, being arrived here, commenced her action against Captain Bailey and the merchant, brother and factor to Alderman Berkeley who freighted the ship, for not performing the charter party, having spent so much time upon the coast in trading, as they were near six months in coming, and had not carried her to her fort as they ought, and might have done, and upon a full hearing in a special court four days, the jury gave her two thousand pounds. For had they come in any reasonable time, it might have been much more to her advantage in her trade and safety against D'Aulney, whereas now it was like to occasion her utter ruin, for she knew not how to get home without hiring two or three ships of force. Latour, and a vessel of ours, and his company laden with provision, went hence with a fair wind, which if he had made use of he had met with the Alney, and after he touched at for diverse places by the way, and stayed there some time, he passed by Penobscot soon after the Alney was gone into the harbour, and so escaped. 
whereas if he had passed any time many days before, he must needs have been taken. This vessel of ours, in her return, was met by D'Alnay, who stayed her, and taking the master aboard a ship, manned the other with Frenchmen, and telling the master his intention, and ensuring him of all good usage and recompense for the stay of his vessel, all which he really performed, he brought her with him to the mouth of St. John's River, and then sent her boat with one gentleman of his own to Latour to show his commission, and withal declared the master to write to Latour to desire him to dismiss the messenger safely, for otherwise D'Alny would keep him for hostage, yet he assured him he would not do it. So Latour dismissed the messenger in peace, which he professed he would not have done but for our master's sake. D'Alny carried our catch with him to Port Royal, where he used the master very courteously and gave him credit for fish, etc., he brought of him, and recompense for keeping his vessel, and so dismissed him. Presently after their return, we sent another vessel to trade with D'Alny, and by it the deputy governor wrote to D'Alny to show the cause of sending her, with profession of our desire of holding good correspondency with him, etc., and withal persuading him by diverse arguments to entertain peace with Latour. That vessel found courteous entertainment with him, and he took off all her commodities, but not at so good rates as they expected. The Lady Latour, having arrested the captain and merchant of the ship, they were forced to deliver their cargo on shore to free their persons, by which means she laid her execution upon them to the value of 1,100 pounds. More could not be had without unfurnishing the ship, which must have been by force, for otherwise the master and seamen would deliver none. The master petitioned the general court for his freight and wages, for which the goods stood bound by charter party. The general court was much divided about it, but the magistrates voted that none was due here, nor the goods bound for them, but the major part of the deputies being of another judgment, they made use of their negative vote, and so nothing was ordered. Whereupon the master brought this action at the next court of assistance. When it came to be tried, two of the assistants were of opinion that it ought not to be put to trial, because the general court had the hearing and voting of it. But it was answered by the rest, the governor being absent, that, seeing the general court had no order in it, this court might hear and determine it, as if the general court had never taken cognizance of it. Accordingly, it was put to the jury upon this issue, whether the goods were security for the freight, etc., and the jury found for the defendant, and yet in the charter party the merchants bound themselves, their executors, etc., and goods, as the owners had bound their ships, etc., to the merchants. This business caused much trouble and charge to the country, and made some difference between the merchants of Charlestown, who took part with the merchants and master of the ship, and the merchants of Boston, who assisted the lady, some of them being deeply engaged for Latour, so as offers were made on both sides for an end between them. Those of Charlestown offered security for the goods, if upon a review within thirteen months the judgment were not reversed, or the Parliament in England did not call the cause before themselves. This last clause was very ill taken by the court, as making way for appeals, etc., into England, which was not reserved in our charter. The other offered them all the goods save a hundred fifty pounds to defray the lady's expense in town, and security for that if the judgment was reversed, so as the other would give security to answer the whole two thousand pounds if the judgment were not reversed, etc. 10. December 8th. The parties not agreeing, the lady took the goods and hired three ships which lay in the harbor, belonging to strangers, which cost her near eight hundred pounds, and set sail for her fort and the merchants, against whom she had execution for their bodies for satisfaction of the rest of the judgment, got into their ship and fell down beyond the castle, where they were out of command, and took aboard some thirty passengers, and so, twenty-six, and company of one of our ships, which carried about seventy passengers, they sailed for London. When our ship, etc., arrived at London, Alderman Berkeley arrested the goods of two of the passengers. 
A continuation of the history of New England. Footnote. This is the part of Winthrop's journal discovered in the year 1816 in the tower of the Old South Meeting House in Boston, the part unknown to the Hartford transcribers and first published by Savage in 1825. While part two of the journal was destroyed by fire in 1825, part three as well as part one are preserved in the archives of the Massachusetts Historical Society so that the accuracy of Savage's transcription may be verified. In footnote. Part three, 1644. 177, September the 17th. The Lady Latour arrived here in ship set forth from London by Alderman Berkeley and Captain Bailey. They were bound for Latour's fort and set forth in the spring, but spent so much time in trading by the way, etc., as when they came at Cape Sable, Monsieur de Alnay came up to them in a ship from France, so as they durst not discover what they were, but stood along for Boston. The lady, being arrived, brought her action against them for delaying her so long at sea, whereby she lost the opportunity of relieving her fort, and must be at excessive charges to get thither. The cause was openly heard at a special court at Boston, before all the magistrates, and a jury of principal men impaneled, most merchants and seamen, and the charter party being read, and witnesses produced, it appeared to the court that they had broken charter party, as the jury gave her two thousand pounds damages. Whereupon the cargo of the ship was seized in execution, so much of it as could be found, and being meal and peas and trading stuff, etc., and being appraised by four men, sworn, etc., it was found the value of about one thousand one hundred pounds. The defendants desired liberty till the next year to bring a review, pretending they had evidence in England, etc. It was granted them, and they were offered to have all their goods again, except a hundred pounds for defraying the ladies' present charges in Boston, for which they should have good security, etc., so as they would put in security to answer the whole two thousand pounds if they did not reverse the judgment within the year. This they refused and would give security for no more than what they should receive back, whereupon the execution proceeded. But the master of the ship brought his action upon the goods in execution for security for his freight and men's wages, which did amount to near the whole extended. The jury found against him, whereupon at the next journal court he petitioned for redress. A great part of the court was of opinion that the goods, being his security by charter party, and not to be taken from him upon the execution, and most of the deputies and the deputy governor, and some others of the magistrates voted that way, but the greater part of the magistrates being of the other side, he would not be relieved. The lady was forced to give seven hundred pounds to three ships to carry her home. Footnote. This opening passage of part three, Winthrop has crossed out in the manuscript with the marginal comment, this is before in the other book. It is, however, worthwhile to retain the passage since it tells the story in somewhat different shape. In footnote, it may be of use to mention a private matter or two, which fell out about this time, because the power and mercy of the Lord did appear to them in an extraordinary manner. One of the deacons of Boston Church, Jacob Elliot, a man of a very sincere heart and a humble frame of spirit, had a daughter, footnote, the little girl was the niece of the Apostle Elliot, in footnote, of eight years of age, who being playing with other children about a cart, the hinder end thereof fell upon the child's head, and an iron sticking out of it struck into the child's head, and drove a piece of the skull before it into the brains, so the brains came out, and seven surgeons, some of the country very experienced men, and others of the ships which rode in the harbor, being called together for advice, did all conclude that it was the brains, being about half a spoonful at one time, and more at other times, and that there was no hope of the child's life, except the piece of skull could be drawn out. But one of the ruling elders of the church, an experienced and very skillful surgeon, 
liked not to take that course, but applied only plasters to it, and withal earnest prayers were made by the church to the Lord for it, and in six weeks it pleased God that the piece of skull consumed, and so came forth, and the child recovered perfectly, nor did it lose its senses at any time. Another was a child of one Bumstead, a member of the church, had a child of about the same age, that fell from a gallery in the meeting-house about eighteen feet high, and brake the arm and shoulder, and was also committed to the Lord in the prayers of the church, with earnest desires, that the place where the people assembled to his worship might not be defiled with blood. And it pleased the Lord also that this child was soon perfectly recovered. The differences which followed in the court, and still continued, blank. A bark was set out from Boston with seven men to trade at Delaware. They stayed in the river near the English plantation all the winter, and in the spring they fell down and traded three weeks, and had gotten five hundred skins and some otter, etc. And being ready to come away, fifteen Indians came aboard, as if they would trade again, and suddenly they drew forth hatchets from under their coats, and killed the master and three others, and rifled the bark, and carried away a boy, and another man who was the interpreter. And when they came on shore, they gave him forty skins, and twenty fathom wampum, and other things, and kept them about six weeks after. The Swedish governor procured another sachem to fetch them to him, who sent them to New Haven by a bark of that place, and so they are brought to Boston, five fourteen fifteen, footnote, July fourteenth, sixteen forty five, in footnote, the man is a prisoner. eight october thirty. The general court assembled again, and all the magistrates were sent for, to reconcile the differences between the magistrates and deputies. When they were come, the first question put to them was that which was stated by consent the last session, its v's. Whether the magistrates are, by patent and election of the people, the standing council of this commonwealth in the vacancy of the general court, and have power accordingly to act in all cases subject to government, according to the said patent and the laws of this jurisdiction, and when any necessary occasions call for actions from authority, in cases where there is no particular express law provided, there to be guided by the word of God till the general court gave particular rules in such cases. The elders, having received the question, withdrew themselves for consultation about it, and the next day sent to know when we would appoint a time that they might attend the court with their answer. The magistrates and deputies agreed upon an hour, but the deputies came not all, but sent a committee of four, which was not well, nor respectively, that when all the elders had taken so much pains at their request, some having come thirty miles, they would not vouchsafe their presence to receive their answer. Their answer was affirmative on the magistrate's behalf, in the very words of the question, with some reasons thereof. It was delivered in writing by Mr. Cotton, in the name of them all, they being all present, and not one dissentient. Upon the return of this answer, the deputies prepared other questions to be propounded to the elders, and sent them to the magistrates to take view of. Likewise, the magistrates prepared four questions, and sent them also to the deputies. The magistrates' questions with the elders' answers were, 1. Where the deputies in the court have judicial and magistratical authority. 2. Whether by patent the general court, consisting of magistrates and deputies as a general court, have judicial and magistratical authority. 3. Whether we may warrantably prescribe certain penalties to offenses, which may probably admit variable degrees of guilt. 4. Whether a judge be bound to pronounce such sentences as a positive law describes, in case it be apparently or above or below the merit of the offense. The elders answered to the two first. 1. The patent and express words giveth full power and authority, as to the governor's as an assistance, 
so to the freemen also assembled in general court. Second, whereas there is a threefold power of magistratical authority, viz. legislative, judicial, and consultative or directive of the public affairs of the country for provision and protection. The first of these, v. legislative, is expressly given to the freemen, jointly with the governor and assistants. Consultative or directive power, etc., is also granted by the patent as the other. But now for power of judicature, if we speak of the constant and usual administration thereof, we do not find that it is granted to the freemen or deputies in the general court, either by the patent or the elections of the people, or by any law of the country. But if we speak of the occasional administration thereof, we find power of judicature administrable by the freemen, jointly with the governor and assistants upon a double occasion. 1. In case of defect or delinquency of a magistrate, the whole court consisting, etc., may remove him. 2nd. If by the law of the country there lie any appeal to the general court, or any special causes be reserved to their judgment, it will necessarily infer that in such cases, by such laws, the freemen, jointly with the governor and assistants, have power of judicature, touching the appellant's cause of appeal in those reserved cases. What we speak of the power of freemen by patent, the same may be said of the deputies, so far forth as the power of the freemen is delegated to them by order of law. To the third and fourth questions the elders answer. First, certain penalties may and ought to be prescribed to capital crimes, although they may admit variable degrees of guilt as in the case of murder upon propensed malice and upon sudden provocation there is prescribed the same death in both though murder be propensed malice be of a far greater guilt than upon sudden provocation numbers thirty five sixteen eighteen twenty twenty one also in crimes of less guilt as in theft though some theft may be of greater guilt than other as for some man to steal a sheep who hath less need is of greater guilt than for another who hath more need the Lord prescribed the same measure of restitution to both. Second, in case that variable circumstances of an offense do so much vary the degrees of guilt, as that the offense be raised to a higher nature, there the penalty must be varied to a higher answerable proportion. The striking of a neighbor may be punishable with some pecuniary mullet, when the striking of a father may be punished with death. So any sin committed with a high hand, as the gathering of sticks on the Sabbath day, may be punished with death, when a lesser punishment may serve for gathering sticks privily and in some need. Third, in case circumstances do so vary a sin, as that many sins are complicated or wrapped up in it, the penalty is to be varied according to the penalties of those seven sins. According to the penalties of those several sins, a single lie may be punished with a less mullet, than if it be told before the judgment seat or elsewhere to the damage of any person whether in his good name by slander or in his estate by detriment in his commerce in which case a lie aggravated by circumstances is to be punished with respect both to a lie and to a slander and to the detriment which another sustaineth thereby four in case that the circumstances which vary the degrees of guilt concern only the person of the offender as whether it were the first offence or customary whether he were enticed thereto or the enticer whereupon he were principal or accessory whether unadvised or witting or willing etc there it were meet the penalty should be expressed with a latitude whereof the lowest degree to be expressed suppose five shillings or as the case may be five stripes in the highest degree twenty shillings or etc or stripes more or less 
within which compass or latitude it may be free to a magistrate to aggravate or mitigate the penalty. Even here also care would be taken that a magistrate attend in a sentence as much as may be to a certain rule in these circumstances, lest some persons, whose sins be a like circumstance with others, if their punishment be not equal, etc., may think themselves more unequally dealt with all than others. Fifth, in those cases wherein the judge is persuaded in conscience that a crime deserveth a greater punishment than the law inflicteth, he may lawfully pronounce sentence according to the prescript penalty, etc., because he hath no power committed to him by law to go higher. But where the law may seem to the conscience of the judge to inflict a greater penalty than the offense deserveth, it is his part to suspend his sentence, till by conference with the lawgivers he find liberty either to inflict the sentence or to mitigate it. 6. The penalties of great crimes may sometimes be mitigated by such as are in chief power, out of respect to the public good service which the delinquent hath done to the state in former times, as Solomon did to Abiathar, 1 Kings 2, 26-27. Questions propounded to the elders by the deputies. 1. Whether the governor and assistants have any power by patent to dispense justice in the vacancy of the general court, without some law or order of the same to declare the rule. The elders' answer is negative, and further they conceived it meet the rule should be expressed for the regulating of all particulars, as far as may be, and where such cannot be had to be supplied by general rules. 2. Question. Whether any general court hath not power by patent in particular cases to choose any commissioners, either assistants or freemen, exempting all others, to give them commission to set forth their power in places, by any particular case, we mean in all things, and in the choice of all officers, that the commonwealth stands in need of between elections and election, not taking away the people's liberty in elections, nor turning out any officer so elected by them, without showing cause. The elders answer, if the terms all things imply or intend all cases of constant judicature and counsel, we answer negatively, etc., because then it would follow that the magistrates might be excluded from all cases of constant judicature and counsel, which are their principal work, whereby also the end of the people's election would be made frustrate. Second, but if those terms all things imply or intend cases, whether occasional or others, belonging neither to constant judicature or counsel. We answer affirmatively, etc., which yet we understand with this distinction, viz., that if the affairs committed to such officers and commissioners be of general concernment, we conceive the freemen, according to patent, are to choose them, the general court to set forth their power and places, but if they be of merely particular concernment, then we conceive the general court may choose them, and set forth their power and places." Whereas we give cases of constant judicature and counsel to the magistrates, we thus interpret the word counsel. Counsel consists of care and action. In respect of care, the magistrates are not limited. In respect of action, they are to be limited by the general court or by the supreme council. Finally, it is our humble request that in case any difference grow in the general court between magistrates and deputies, either in these or any like weighty cases, which cannot be presently issued with mutual peace, that both parties will be pleased to defer the same to further deliberation for the honor of God and of the court. Upon other propositions made by the deputies, the elders gave this further answer, viz. That the general court, consisting of magistrates and deputies, is the chief civil power of this commonwealth, and may act in all things belonging to such a power, both concerning counsel and consulting about the weighty affairs of the commonwealth, and concerning making of laws, 
also concerning judicatures, and orderly impeaching, removing, and sentencing any officers, even the highest according to law, likewise in receiving appeals, whether touching civic or criminal causes, whereupon appeals are or shall be allowed by the general court, provided that all such appeals proceed orderly from an inferior court to the court of assistance, and from thence to the general court, or if the case were first depending in the court of assistance, then it proceed from thence to the general court, and in all such cases as are appealable. Quote, as in cases judged evidently against law, or in cases wherein the subjects sentenced to banishment, loss of limb, or life, without an express law, or in cases weighty and difficult, not admitting small matters, the pursuit whereof would be more burdensome to the court and country than behooveful to the appellant, nor needlessly interrupting the ordinary course of justice in the court of assistance or other inferior courts, provided also that if it do appear that the appeal proceed not out of regard of right, but from delay of justice, or out of contention, that a due and just punishment be by law retained and inflicted upon such appellant, quote. that no magistrate hath power to vary from the penalty of any law, etc., without consulting the general court. 3. Question whether the titles of governor deputy and assistants do necessarily imply magistratical authority in the patent the elder's answer was affirmative for question whether the magistratical power be not given by the patent to the people or general court and by them to the governor etc the elder's answer the magistratical power is given to the governor etc by the patent to the people is given by the same patent to design the persons to those places of government, and to the general court power is given to make laws as the rules of their administration. These resolutions of the elders were after put to vote, and were all allowed to be received except those in the last page marked in the margin thus, in quotes. Most of the deputies were now well satisfied concerning the authority of the magistrates, etc., but some few leading men who had drawn on the rest were still fixed upon their own opinions. So hard a matter it is to draw men, even wise and godly, from the love of the fruit of their own inventions. Footnote. This detailed and labored expounding of the patent by the elders for the benefit of the uneasy deputies is an incident in the long struggle in which the people conquered. In footnote. There fell out at this court another occasion of further trouble. The deputy governor, having formally, and from time to time, opposed the deputy's claim of judicial authority and the prescribing of set penalties in cases which may admit varial degrees of guilt which occasioned them to suspect that he and some others of the magistrates did affect an arbitrary government he now wrote a small treatise about these points showing what arbitrary government was and that our government in the state it now stood was not arbitrary neither in the ground and foundation of it nor in the exercise and administration thereof and because it is of public and for the most part of general concernment and being a subject not formally handled by any that i have met with so as it may be of use to stir up some of more experienced and more able parts to, to bestow their parts herein, I have therefore made bold to set down the whole discourse, with the proceedings which happened about it, in a treatise by itself, with some small alterations and additions, not in the substance of the manner, for clearer evidence of the question. And I must apologize this to the reader, that I do not condemn all prescript penalties, although the argument seems to hold forth so much, but only so as far they cross with the rules of justice and prudence and mercy, also in such cases of smaller concernment, as wherein they may be lawful liberties allowed to judges to use admonition, or to respite an offender to further trial of reformation, etc. Footnote. The tract is printed in Winthrop's Winthrop, Volume 2, page 445.
at this court mr saltonstall moved very earnestly that he might be left out at the next election and pursued his motion after to the towns it could not appear what should move him to it only mr bellingham and he held together and joined with the deputies against the rest of the magistrates but not prevailing and being oft opposed in public might put some discouragement upon his spirit to see all differ from him save one and indeed it occasioned much grief to all the elders and gave great offence through the country and such as were acquainted with other states in the world and had not well known the persons would have concluded such a faction here as hath been usual in the council of england and other states who walk by politic principles only but these gentlemen were such as feared god and endeavoured to walk by the rules of his word in all their proceedings so as it might be conceived in charity that they walked according to their judgments and conscience and where they went aside it was merely for want of light or their eyes were held through some temptation for a time that they could not make use of the light they had for in all these differences and agitations about them they continued in brotherly love and in the exercise of all friendly offices each to other as occasion required one cornish dwelling some time in weymouth removed to acumenticus for more outward accommodation and in the blank month last was taken up in the river his head bruised and a pole sticking in his side and his canoe laden with clay found sunk his wife being a lewd woman and suspected to have fellowship with one footman coming to her husband he bled abundantly and so he did also when footman was brought to him footnote that the body of a murdered man bleeds afresh in presence of the murderer is an inveterate superstition of the teutonic race in the nibelungen lied the body of siegfried bleeds afresh in the presence of hagen the belief still persists in the ruder communities of the united states in footnote but no evidence could be found against him then something was discovered against the son of mr hull their minister and the woman was arraigned before the mayor mr roger gard and others of the province of maine and strong presumptions came in against her whereupon she was condemned and executed she persisted in the denial of the murder to the death but confessed to have loved an adultery with diverse she charged two specifically the said guard the mayor and one edward johnson who confessed it openly at the time of her execution but the mayor denied it and it gave some likelihood that he was not guilty because he had carried himself very zealously and impartially in discovery of the murder but there might be skill in that and he was but a carnal man and had no wife in the country and some witnesses come in against him of his acknowledgment to the woman etc end of section nineteen